Good morning, good afternoon, good night if you're listening to this fall asleep. Welcome back to another episode of the Judgment Call podcast. This is Miles Wilson. Of course, it's morning for me. I knew that the only way that I'd be able to get this podcast out in time for both of the divisional round matchups and the college football playoff championship on Monday is if I got up really early and put this out probably before 5 a.m. Because I knew that if I put it out, like, I think the game starts at... Three. I think they did a time change last year. I think the game started at one. This year they started like three and six forty. I knew that if I put them out around noon, they probably wouldn't give you enough time to listen to it. So I'll give it to you right now. Up early in the morning. I don't know if anybody's up this early, but you get to listen to it to start your day before all the games and before the championship game on Monday. That is all I have to talk about. Sadly, this is going to be probably be the last college football I get to talk until maybe summertime when spring football starts or maybe I'll do some transfer talk if there are any interesting anything interesting happens uh, because of the transfer portal um but yeah this is probably going to be it there's literally this and then after this it's the senior bowl I'll probably talk about the senior bowl but even then that's not really college football talk none of those guys are going back to college, all those guys are going to the pros. So that's more draft talk than anything. So if you guys consider draft talk, college football talk, then there will be plenty of college football talk left. I love evaluating players. I love the draft. Honestly, I went to the draft when I was in Nashville this past year. It was fantastic. The energy, the atmosphere was all fantastic. So I will be doing plenty of draft coverage. But as far as college football goes, this is the end. I hate I hate it. I love college football. I hate to see it. I hate that it has to end, but it does. NFL football is about to end in about two or three weeks. So it's whatever. But I am going to go ahead and get into this. And just like last time, I'll analyze these in the order that they play. And I don't think these games will compare to last week's matchups. But it is possible because I definitely believe in the philosophy of any any given Sunday. I didn't think the Philadelphia Eagles were going to make it to the Super Bowl with Nick Foles. Who knew that the 9-7 wild card Giants would have made the Super Bowl and beat the 16-0 Patriots? Nobody knows. Any given Sunday, any team can beat any team. Anybody can out game plan anybody. But I can't look at these matchups, however, and just not hope for chaos. Like, I really want these teams to be tested, possibly even an upset or two. I just really want it to be fun. I want it to be exciting. I don't want to watch three blowouts in one close game. That's not fun. It's just like, eh, well, everybody kind of knew that was going to happen. I don't, I don't want to see that. I want to see fun, exciting, entertaining football this weekend. It'd be much more enjoyable than watching those blowouts. It'd be much more enjoyable watching four or even three really, really close, tight-knit games. So there are four games this weekend, and it starts with the Vikings heading to Santa Clara to play the San Francisco 49ers. And this is after their incredible defeat of the Saints. I thought it was incredible because I haven't had much faith in the Giants. So still, congrats to them. But just coming off of that victory, they get to go play the San Francisco 49ers. And if I'm being honest, this is probably my least anticipated game of the day. Because in almost every facet of the game, pretty much every facet of the game that you can think of, the 49ers have the Vikings beat. 
They've played better and more consistent all season. They have the better coaches. They have the more creative and take the top off offense that it's really good. It's been great all season. They have a good quarterback in Jimmy G that I'm starting to believe in. He's starting to play better down the stretch. He wasn't as good as he was at the beginning of the season that he is now. He's really developed really well. And to top all that off, their defense is fantastic all season long. The talk has been either the San Francisco 49ers have the best defense in the league or the New England Patriots. It's 1A and 1B, but those are the two best defenses in the league. Their D-line is incredible. DeForest Buckner, Joey Bosa, D Ford, all those guys are fantastic. And they really believe in Robert Salah, their defensive coordinator. They really want to play for him. They really want to run through a wall for that guy. And I think the most important thing that a lot of people aren't talking about. Like, the game could be closer than we all think. But a lot of something that's not being talked about as much is the 49ers are getting some key guys back. Like, Quan Alexander is getting Jacuski Tart back. And this is the healthiest the 49ers have been since week two. Like, this is a perfect time to get all your guys back healthy, especially with an extra week to West because of the bye week. It's like, well... When you look at it on paper, everything leans in the 49ers' favor. The 49ers should be the favorites coming into this game, and they should be in the driver's seat for the majority of this game. But the Vikings are still a talented team. I don't want to take anything away from the Vikings. This is not me saying the Vikings have absolutely no chance to win. It's not me saying that at all. I'm just saying the 49ers should have the advantage, and they should be the favorites coming into this game. But in all... The Vikings are very talented. Kirk Cousins could finally be shaking off the narrative that he can't win big games after he made some very impressive throws down the field, down the stretch in the Saints game. It was late game. It wasn't at the beginning of the game. It was when they needed Kirk Cousins to make a play. He made the throws. He didn't turn the ball over all game, which I am impressed by. And some of the throws were impressive. They weren't just five-yard digs. They weren't just drag routes. They were deep down the field. They were 20-yard bombs. He even threw the game-winning touchdown in overtime. And they have a really talented running back, Dalvin Cook. The 49ers do not have a single running back that is as talented as Dalvin Cook, but they do have the running back by committee that as a whole does kind of emit the same production that Dalvin Cook has, but they don't have a single player as good as Dalvin Cook in the backfield. They have a really strong wide receiver core. And they also have a really talented defensive line of their own. But I'm just not convinced they have enough to beat the 49ers. And all season long, I've stated this. Like, I'm on record saying that this Vikings team is fool's gold. The team isn't great on the road. They've only performed well against bad teams. They have not performed well against teams over 500. And their best stretch of football throughout the entire season was a four-game win streak where they played the Giants, the Eagles, the Lions, and the Redskins. And all season long, the Eagles were the only over 500 team that they beat. And that is also the only playoff caliber team they beat all season. Everybody else they beat was below 500, weren't good teams in the lottery. And this was all before the win against the Saints, though. So I do give them credit for defeating the Saints last week. But... I don't think that's enough. I don't think beating the Eagles in like week eight 
and then beating a Saints team that kind of shot themselves in the foot for most of the game. I don't think that's enough for me to say that they have enough talent and they have any, they have shown me anything that's, that says they can beat a team that's been regarded as the best team in the entire football league. I don't think so. I think this team has capped out. I think they could keep it close, though. I don't think it would be a blowout. I think they could keep it close. But I am going to give the edge to the 49ers in this game. Then the second game of the day is the Titans get to go and play Baltimore. And my first takeaway is that this is a good matchup. This isn't a bad matchup at all. I don't think that Baltimore should run through this team. I think this is a really great matchup. These are two teams that run the ball really well. One has rushing champion Derrick Henry with the Tennessee Titans, and the other has a dynamic quarterback in Lamar Jackson paired with Mark Ingram. But even though we know this, we know that both teams run the ball really well. They really want to establish that they're both really hard-nosed teams and that they run the ball extremely well. But I don't think that the key to this game is going to be who will run the ball better? Because we know this. We know both of these teams are extremely physical and they're going to get the ball in their playmakers' hands and they're going to run the ball. We know that they're going to run the ball well. I think that it'll come down to who will make the bigger plays through the air down the stretch of this game or in a big time moment. We all know there's going to be a situation where it's a third and long or a key second down where they need to put some points on the board. And you can't run the ball. You can't run the ball in second and 15. It's not going to get you anywhere. And I think it'll come down to which quarterback is going to make a big play in a key moment. And I could be wrong. This actually could be a blowout. The, the Baltimore Ravens are a very good team. They're 14-2 for a reason. They've won their last 10 games in a row for a reason. They're a very good team that hit their stride at a great time. So I could be wrong. This could be a blowout. And some, te- some teams don't perform well after very emotional wins, and that's what the Titans just came off of. They just beat a Patriots team that was said before the season and during most of the season that they should make the Super Bowl, and then after they beat them, people are talking about, oh, they ended the Patriots dynasty. Tom Brady might retire. He might not play for the Patriots ever again, so this is a very emotional win. And also, the Ravens are one of the better run defenses in the league. They're hard-nosed and resilient, just like the Titans. Like, this isn't a team that they can bully and push around like they did the Patriots. The Ravens are just as hard-nosed and just as tough as the Titans are. But if this game is close, it's not a blowout, and it happens to be a battle of the trenches, I do believe it will come down to who can make clutch plays or a clutch pass in key moments. That's what happened in the New England game, and the Patriots couldn't capitalize. They had opportunities. And they just couldn't get it done. Whether that was Brady's fault or the wide receiver's fault. I've been on record saying it's the wide receiver's fault. You can make your own opinion. But also in that game, even though Tennessee dominated the Patriots for the majority of the game, they only scored 14 points. Like, I find it hard to believe that they can score 14 points against this Baltimore team and the Baltimore won't answer. Like, they'll just have under 14 points. I find that very hard to believe. I do think Tennessee's momentum runs out here. If it does run out here, they had an excellent season. They're one of the best 9-7 and seven teams I have ever seen. And congrats to Mike Vrabel, Coach Mike Vrabel, if that does end tomorrow. Or, actually, it's not tomorrow. It's later today. 
But I do think Baltimore has the edge in this game and that the Titans just won't be able to contain Lamar Jackson. Now, on Sunday, this game start with the Houston Texans going to play the Kansas City Chiefs. And this game, easily, like, not even close. This is the game I'm most excited about. This could be like their regular season game where one side jumps out to an early lead and the other team has to rely on their quarterback to draw them back from the deficit. Or it could be an absolute blowout and the Chiefs hang 50 on the Houston Texans. Like, it could literally go either one of those ways. And these two teams arguably have the most electric quarterbacks as far as making something out of nothing and altering the scheme to make them feel more comfortable with themselves inside of it. It's a very short list of guys who can do that. There's guys like 2016 Aaron Rodgers who could do it. Currently in the league, Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson. That's it. Lamar Jackson is dynamic. He's electric, but he doesn't change the scheme to make him more comfortable. The scheme is him. The entire offensive scheme is is designed around him and his abilities. He doesn't change anything. Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, and Deshaun Watson will go completely off script and do whatever they want to make a play. And because of because of this, we should really get a good game. Like I hope we get a really good game. I hope this is very competitive and we see two quarterbacks pass for a, a thousand combined yards. For the Texans, the key for them to win this game is can Deshaun Watson carry them this entire game? Because that's how they win most of the games. That's how they won last game against the Chiefs, actually, in the regular season game. And also how they won their last game against the Bills. Against the Chiefs, they were down early. And Watson made some incredible plays down the stretch that won them the game. And while the Chiefs have the better quarterback in Patrick Mahomes, they have more weapons and mismatches all over the field. They're going against arguably the most clutch quarterback in the NFL. When Dabo Sweeney compared Deshaun Watson to Michael Jordan, I was like, oh, why would you say that? Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time. He's the most clutch basketball player of all time. And he went six for six in the finals. So is he saying that he's going to go six for six in the finals? No, I finally see what he's talking about. Deshaun Watson has incredible intangibles. He is extremely clutch. In a career 37 games, Deshaun Watson has nine fourth quarter comebacks and 11 game-winning drives. And that doesn't even include the national championship against Alabama, where Deshaun Watson had to lead them on a comeback and had the game-winning touchdown. Deshaun Watson is extremely clutch, and he is really, really good at pulling a win out of absolutely nowhere and where it doesn't seem possible. But that's also what hurts the Texans. Oftentimes, Deshaun Watson does try to go out of his way, and he does try and play hero ball, and it loses them games. He'll try too hard to make a play, or he'll try too hard to try and get his team back into the game, and he'll turn the ball over, he'll make a bad decision, trying to gamble for the deep ball when he doesn't need to do that. He also takes a lot of sacks trying to make those plays. Like Oftentimes, like we'll look at it and be like, well, the Texans' offensive line isn't very good. Yes, that is true, but oftentimes he will have enough time in the pocket to at least get it to somebody who's open, and he won't. He'll hold on to the ball thinking, no, I can do better than that. I can help my team out more, and he can't. Sometimes you just have to take those plays. Deshaun won't, and he'll take a bad sack. 
it's not always the offensive line's fault. And if that's what happens when the Texans play the Chiefs on Sunday, they'll surely lose. Like, it's almost sure the Texans can only go as far as Deshaun Watson can take them. If the Texans win this game, it will be won because Deshaun Watson came up big, especially in big moments. And also because some of the secondary or someone in the secondary or the linebacker core had a really big game. It's because the Chiefs have so many weapons. Their receiving core with Watkins, Hardman, Hill, and then even Kelsey, the tight end. The Texans don't have those same kind of elite guys on the defensive end. So if they want to win the game, they're back seven. So not J.J. Watt, none of those guys on the defensive line. They're back seven. They're linebacking core. They're secondary. They will either have to play remarkably well as a unit or some one person has to step up and have a really big game and prevent those really big plays that fuel the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs, however, should be the favorites in this game. I have to make that clear. They're the better team with the better coach, with the better weapons. And also, the Texans defense spotted the Bills 16 points. So if they do that against the Kansas City Chiefs offense that is much more high-powered, that can get the ball back and won't tense up in the third quarter and won't score again, I definitely think that the Chiefs will be able to maintain that league. You cannot spot the Kansas City Chiefs 16 unanswered points and expect to win the game. And also, it's hard not to acknowledge that their defense is getting better at the right time. The entire month of December, if they've been good and they've only gotten better down the stretch each week since December 1st, they've gotten better, they've prepared better, and they've executed better. And they also have a very favorable matchup since the Texans' offensive line isn't good. Even though Deshaun Watson does take sacks, we do have to acknowledge that the offensive line isn't good and that the Kansas City Chiefs do have Chris Jones up the middle and they have Frank Clark off the edge, and that should definitely definitely help them beat the Houston Texans and contain Deshaun Watson. And now the last game of the divisional round weekend, we ended off with the Seattle Seahawks traveling to Lambeau Field to take on the Green Bay Packers. This is the game that I'm the most unsure of, but I'm glad that this is how we're ending it. This should be a really competitive game. I'm really glad we're ending it on an NFC matchup, period. NFC matchups are usually always good. They often come down to the wire. It, it's always You can always track the game back to a very few key plays, or the last few plays even, like the Seattle Seahawks-San Francisco 49ers game a couple weeks ago came down to literally the last play of the game and Dre, Dre Greenlaw making an incredible hit on Jacob Hollister. And usually the Seahawks always seem like they coach just good enough for Russell Wilson to pull off an incredible comeback and for him to get all the glory. And then the Packers seem like they forget how to coach and play football for two and a half quarters. So they have to come back and they have to win really ugly. And overall, it sounds like it looks like on paper that it should be a good game that comes down to the wire. And, and the Packers' defensive front is really good at generating pressure with Preston and Zadarius Smith and Kenny Clark all really good at putting pressure on the quarterback. And the Seattle line has been banged up, destroyed by injuries, they lost Dwayne Brown for the rest of the season. And even at their best, their offensive line 
is not very good. So Green Bay definitely has the advantage there of putting pressure on Russell Wilson. And if you look back at the Seattle and Philly game, they put pressure on Russell Wilson a lot. The Philadelphia Eagles did generate a lot of pressure on Russell Wilson. But Russell Russell Wilson avoided all the pressure and ended up beating them over the top because their DBs aren't very good. That's how he evaded all the pressure. That's how he avoided a lot of the sacks. He saw DK Metcalf running down the field and was like, I can make that throw. Russell Wilson is one of the best deep ball throwers in the league, if not the best deep ball throw in the league. But the Packers have a much better and faster and more talented secondary than the Eagles. They have Jair Alexander, Adrian Amos, Kevin King, Darnell Savage, who they really find the guy within this draft. They've really got some guys back there. So it'll be much harder for Russell Wilson to get bailed out by DK Metcalf over the top. And it'll also be a lot harder to get him in, involved, Tyler Lockett involved too, in those longer developing routes. However, even though the Packers defense can stifle the Seattle Seahawks, it might be really hard for the Packers offense to score. They've struggled all season moving the ball. All season, they consistently would go multiple drives in a row without putting points up on the board. Maybe they get a field goal here and there, but it would usually just be punt, 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 turnover on downs. Especially in the past few weeks, in the month of December, all but one of their wins, the one against the Giants, they were extremely grimy. They were really grinded out games. They didn't jump out to an early lead or anything like that. They didn't put up a significant amount of points. They were just hard to watch, hard to play. You could tell that... After their first 15 plays, all their plays that are on script, they looked fine. But then after that, their offense really died. They couldn't get much going. And I feel like people are waiting. People think that Aaron Rodgers is just going to eventually have one of those vintage 2011 performances or 2016 performances. And they probably honestly won't come. They just more than likely won't. He's regressing. We can see that. He's admitted that. He's acknowledged that he's on the back nine of his career, but he's still a special quarterback. Just because you're on the back nine doesn't mean you're on the 18th hole. It just means you're on the back nine. There's nine holes. He could be on hole 11, could be on hole 15. We don't know. We just know that he is not the same guy he used to be 10 years ago. He's just not. Seahawks, on the other hand, have two good linebackers that could make their offense even worse by taking away Aaron Jones. Matt LaFleur does love to scheme Aaron Jones open and try and get him the ball in open field situations. The Seattle Seahawks have all pro Bobby Wagner, and they also have K.J. Wright, a really good running back. They could take Aaron Jones out of the game, and then they could put Jair, they could man him up on Devontae Adams all game and force Aaron Rodgers to rely on one of those receivers he does not have faith in. And also, they have a quarterback who's in his prime, is coming off an MVP caliber year. And just like the Texans, unfortunately, they can only go as far as Russell Wilson can take them. I do, however, hope that the Seattle Seahawks can somehow pull out a win. Even though on paper, it doesn't look like it should go Seattle's way. This looks like one of those games we're going into halftime. It could be like 10 to 6 or 9 to 3, really really ugly game to watch but it'll be close it'll be competitive and I hope the Seahawks can somehow pull it off selfishly I think I hope they do because I really want the possibility of a 49er Seahawks part three happening 
The first game went into overtime. The Seahawks won. The second game came down to the one-inch line, and the 49ers won. How great would it be to see a tiebreaker game, and the winner gets to go to the Super Bowl? I, this, is a, this is a selfish reason that I want the Seahawks to win. I just think it would be fantastic to watch that storyline unfold. I think it would be a great game. Both of the other two games have been fantastic. They've been some of the greatest games of the year. Honestly, almost all the greatest games of the year that I've watched have involved the 49ers. Being the 49ers with the Saints, 49ers with the Seahawks, both games were all fantastic. If I had to make a top five, those three would definitely be in it. And now that we're done with that, that would leave the 49ers and the Seahawks in the NFC championship game, at least as I see the favorites. And then it would have the, who did I have coming out of AFC? I had, uh, I had the Chiefs more than likely and the Ravens more than likely. And I think that would be an absolutely fantastic matchup. We would get to see the quarterbacks of Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes, the reigning MVP going against the guy who's going to win the MVP this year. And then a fantastic tiebreaker game between two NFC West rivals. That would be fantastic. I would love to see that. Hopefully the games turn out that way. If they don't, even better. That means an upset happened and something exciting for me to talk about. Now that I'm done with that, I'm going to move on to the championship game on Monday. We have the LSU Tigers going against the Clemson Tigers. And I have not been this excited about a NCAA championship game since the 2017 rematch where Clemson had to come back and had to have a game-winning drive to beat Alabama. And I really hate that a team has to lose, you know. It's just one of those games where the storylines are too good for both of these teams. And, like, I really like both of them. I have no problem with either of these teams. Neither of these teams are annoying. I really like the storylines for both of these teams. I like the players on both of these teams. LSU has had a great season. They've had great storylines all season, and there would literally be no better way to cap it off than with a win in Louisiana where the championship game is held. And then Clemson is looking for their 30th win in a row. They're looking to do history. They're looking for their third championship in four years and a chance to prove that their weaker regular season schedule doesn't matter because they will have then beat Ohio State in the semifinal, and then it would be LSU in the championship game. And they'd be like, hey, it doesn't matter who we schedule at the end of the year. We're still going to go kick those Power 5 teams' butts. And I watched a lot of film for both of these teams just to draw a conclusion on how I think this game will go. And I think it could go one of two ways. Either LSU is going to go down early and they're going to lose, or it's going to be a shootout, and it's going to come down to which quarterback makes the bigger plays down the stretch, and I tend to lean towards Joe Burrow. Let's start with why I think LSU could go down early and possibly lose the game. LSU has consistently played quarterbacks that cannot capitalize when they have the chance. <clears throat> Against Georgia in the SEC championship game, Receivers would be wide open, like, a lot. Like, there would be often times where Jake Fromm just wouldn't even see the guy, or if he did, the ball would be off target, or it would be underthrown, and nothing would result from the drive. They'd end up having to punt just because he missed the guy. 
next next time out, the same thing would happen. He'd miss a guy wide open going down the seam or going outside or right across the middle of the field. He'd just miss him. He wouldn't see him. Or when he did see him, he'd throw the ball too late or he'd underthrow it. And it's just like, well, I'm not going to say LSU got lucky because they did every single time go out and score some score some points. Not only did they score some points, Joe Burrow had eight touchdowns. So they obviously capitalized off of that. But it also happened the game before against Oklahoma, or the game after, rather, against Oklahoma, where Jalen Hurts would just not go through his progressions at all. He would also miss a guy right across the middle of the field. Usually it was C.D. Lamb. Or he'd choose to scramble at the slightest bit of pressure instead of stepping into the pocket, maneuvering around the pressure and delivering delivering the ball to a guy open downfield. Like, this consistently happened in other games. Like, Ole Miss it happened, against Auburn it happened, and against Florida it happened. The reason they won those games is, one, because the quarterbacks were not fantastic. The other reason is because they forced those teams to make mistakes, and they would almost every single time capitalize on those opportunities with touchdowns and not field goals. Even against Bama with Tua, they beat them because they made Bama make mistakes early. Like, a lot of people forget that they didn't just start blowing Alabama out. Tua was driving down the field. He fumbled. The next drive out, they fumbled again. Later in the half, they got an interception. They got the score before the half, and that's how they got up 33-10. to 10. They got out to a hot start because they made Alabama make mistakes, not because Tua was inaccurate. And that leads me to why I think this game will be a shoot- shootout. Neither of these teams make mistakes very often on the offensive side of the ball. LSU has playmakers all over the field. They have Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Terrence Marshall, Thaddeus Moss, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And there will be mismatches all over the field. And Clemson's slot corners tend to be out of place pretty often. Like, they were out of place pretty often against Ohio State. And against good route runners, they tend to not play very well. Tutu Outwell out of Louisiana, out of Louisville, had incredible separation in the slot against Clemson, but the quarterback wasn't great. The athletes were so much better than Louisville on the field that he could not get the ball. He got the ball like maybe two or three times for 63 yards. Daz Newsom from North Carolina, the game that they almost lost and they won on a goal line stand, he got some incredible separation, didn't get the ball much because the quarterback was not great. Against Ohio State, K.J. Hill, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, all got really, really good coverage. All Not coverage, all got really good separation when they were lined up in the slot. And even when they were on the outside, they were fast enough to get NFL separation because the Clemson's corners on the outside are really good. Like, they did a pretty good job, but they were able to get NFL separation, which is just getting a step or two on the corner or breaking off of the routes just good enough to have enough room for a ball to squeeze in there. And those are NFL-level windows. And if the Ohio State receivers can do it, LSU with all of those receivers and those playmakers can definitely do it. And Joe Burrow has the accuracy to fit it in those tight windows. However, it is really important to note that Ohio State did jump out to a 16-point lead with about three minutes left in the second quarter. That's when Clemson finally drove down and got the first touchdown with Travis Etienne. And then later in that same quarter, 
Trevor Lawrence had that incredible 67-yard run. But before that, the score was 16-0. to And part of that is because they constantly had pressure on Trevor Lawrence. They made him incredibly uncomfortable. While Trevor Lawrence can run, he's not an athlete. He can only get so far. He does have good pocket presence. He can't step around the pressure. But when someone is constantly in your face and you don't have time to get the ball to your receivers, that becomes a problem. Another reason why he couldn't get to his receivers is not because he didn't see the open guy. It's because they really struggled. Clemson's receivers really had a hard time getting good separation versus press coverage. Most of the time when they were getting good separation, it wasn't in man coverage. It was when they were playing zone, they'd find the soft spot in the zone. Trevor Lawrence would deliver a great ball to one of his receivers. But whenever they were lined up in press man, they were getting jammed at the line. They had a really hard time separating in enough time to where Trevor Lawrence didn't have a lineman or a DB in his face already. Now, LSU doesn't have a corner, a singular corner as good as Jeff Okuda. But they do have a duo in Stingley and Christian Fulton that are just as good as Damon Arnett and Jeff Okuda are. Both of those are corners that are going to play in the NFL. And they also have the athletes to get consistent pressure on Trevor Lawrence. They get Michael Divinity back. They already have the same guys that were already there and playing fantastic, like Patrick Queen. They still have Grant Delpit on the team. This is a very athletic team. Even though that they sometimes get beat, they're sometimes out of position, they oftentimes have gaps in their zones. They're still a very good team and a very athletic team at that. If LSU can contain Travis Etienne and they can jam Clemson's wide receivers and make Trevor Lawrence really uncomfortable in the pocket and their offense just operates business as usual, they should win this game. But if Clemson can be effective with their situational blitzes, because they did that really well against Ohio State, and their back seven slows down LSU, or at least their secondary, if they happen to send some linebackers, if they just happen to slow down their playmakers, then Clemson will win this game. I do think, however, we will definitely be in for a fantastic game, however it goes. But the storylines are all perfect for Clemson to win, for not Clemson to win, for LSU to win. I can't wait for Monday night. I honestly cannot choose who I think is going to win this game. If I really had to look at it after all the tape I watched and how many times LSU played quarterbacks that could just not get the ball to open guys, I would choose Clemson because Clemson has a guy that won't miss it. They won't miss those throws. He won't not see those guys. But then maybe they were also running vanilla schemes because they thought they could beat them one way. They didn't blitz Jake Fromm that much. They had success blitzing four and five. For Jalen Hurts, they did send a lot of pressure at him, and they made him extremely uncomfortable. If they can do that same thing that they did to Jalen Hurts, sending guys after him, letting the blitz get through, then I think they will have some success. And I think they can beat the Clemson Tigers. But if it's not and they have the same defensive game plan and guys happen to get open whenever they're playing zone coverage and they don't have much success in press man coverage and can't get the blitz there, I do think Clemson could hop out to an early lead. And I'm not very sure how LSU plays facing adversity. We saw how Clemson faced adversity last week. They came back and won the game. I'm not very sure how LSU will face adversity should they be faced with that same situation. And all right, guys, that's it. That's all I got for you. The last 
college football, I get to talk until the senior bowl. The divisional round should be fantastic. I'm really excited for this weekend. I hope you guys are too. If you made it this far, thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate you. I appreciate each and every one of you that make it this far. If you did make it this far, I do ask that you share the podcast. The fastest way the word gets out is by word of mouth. I appreciate that. So tell anybody you want to, even if they're not interested in sports, they could tell somebody, tell your homegirl, tell your homegirl, tell her homegirl, tell your homeboy, tell his homeboy. Then maybe somebody will find somebody who'll be interested in the podcast. I appreciate each and every one of you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Again, this has been Miles Wilson with the Judgment Call podcast, and I will see you guys the next time I see you guys. Peace out.